Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is October the 23rd, 2020. And gosh, we're down to the last week and a half before the presidential and other elections. What a crazy uh, couple of past weeks it has been. All kinds of revelations and accusations. The last debate was just held yesterday. And I thought that today we would take a hard look at where we stand, what President Trump has said, what Vice President, uh, presidential candidate Joe Biden has had to say, and we'll take it from there because this obviously is a big deal. Uh, The person in the Oval Office will determine the course for our nation. That person is kind of like the captain of the ship, of course, Uh, There's a Yiddish expression that says man makes plans and God laughs. Certainly, politicians don't always get their way, thankfully, (laughs) most times. Uh, But we really need to understand how America does stand at crossroads today. And I thought that this would be something we should discuss. In fact, that very topic, America at Crossroads, was the topic for a talk that I had the privilege of giving down in Virginia just a couple of days ago when I was asked to address a bunch of Air Force brass, a bunch of generals, uh, some of these guys, fighter pilots, my heroes. uh, You know, I've often made the point that I don't look at sports figures as heroes. My favorite oxymoron is heroic play. I don't know how in the world you can be a hero when you're playing. But the men and women of the armed forces, of law enforcement, the first responders, the firefighters, the EMTs, the Americans, who put their lives on the line to protect the rest of us, those are the real heroes. And we seem to have lost sight of who we are as a nation and who we should be valuing. Um, This whole business with defunding the police, vilifying law enforcement, I never thought I would see anything quite this crazy. And it's remarkable because it started with sanctuary cities for immigration. And, you know, my background is a former INS senior special agent. It has always disturbed me that you have politicians who enact laws, but the laws that human beings enact through the legislative process mean nothing if they're not enforced. Laws of nature are immutable. The speed of light is not determined by somebody with a badge or summons book and a radar gun. Speed laws on our roads, however, require enforcement if they're to be meaningful. You could post any sign you want declaring whatever speed limit to be the speed limit, but if there's no mechanism for enforcing the law, for punishing the people who violate the law, then you're wasting your time putting those signs up. So when you have legislators whose very profession is about writing laws, And then these very same politicians attack the people that took an oath to enforce the laws that have been written, have been legislated, is insanity. 
It's insanity that you have leaders in government seeking anarchy. It's the antithesis of what you would expect. You would think that political leaders have a vested interest in maintaining the integrity of the political system. But, of course, there is very little integrity, it would seem. Joe Biden, with the allegations about money and foreign influence and his son's activities, you know, there's been no trial, no one's been indicted, no one's been found guilty. But these are damning charges. And we've seen this kind of stuff play out in politics all the time. Pay for play. Um, there was a case called AppScam. Those of you not old enough to remember or too old to remember, if you're suffering perhaps from a Biden moment, look up AppScam. A-B-S-C-A-M. It was an FBI criminal investigation. It was a movie based on it, sort of almost, <clears throat> where the FBI uh, did an undercover sting, and politicians, members of the House of Representatives, thought they were meeting with an Arab sheikh who was offering them money to put through private bills to give aliens lawful status in the United States. They can do that through private bills. What other system in our government permits this kind of craziness? The immigration system was designed to be violated. It really was. It's a delivery system. Let's be honest. I've said this before. I'll say it again. It delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, an unlimited supply of foreign tourists, an unlimited supply of foreign students, foreign tourists. That's why we have this idiotic visa waiver program. But first and foremost, it delivers an unlimited supply of clientele for immigration law firms, and you find immigration attorneys on both sides of the aisle. So under AppScam, they were just rolling up these politicians. And if it wasn't so tragic, it would have been funny. Because it was a big deal back in the 80s. But they were videotaping in this hotel room politicians getting cold, hard cash, trying to shove it into their pockets. One politician is standing in front of the congressman. And I forget his name. It doesn't much matter. But he was turning to the undercovers who just gave him the money. He says, is it, is it sticking out? Is it showing? His pockets were bulging. He was shoving money down his pants and his pockets. Uh, he was ready to eat the money. Is it okay? Does anyone see anything? And I couldn't stop laughing, except for the fact that this politician had just been bought. What he didn't know was he was about to be arrested by the FBI agents who were waiting outside. And it's remarkable because those of us in civil service, law enforcement, the military, we're not allowed to accept more than a glass of ice water from anybody. I got an award from the government of Japan, the police medal, because I helped them with a narcotics investigation. Immigration law enforcement, I keep making the point, isn't about any one race, religion, or ethnicity, because human nature is human nature. I've arrested criminal aliens from England, from Ireland, from Italy, from Colombia, from Mexico, from Jamaica, from Ghana, from Nigeria. It doesn't matter. From Israel, France, it doesn't matter. Every uh, group of people, because they're human, they not only bleed red, but among them are the good, the bad, and the ugly. I got an award from the government of Japan. I was very honored. They held a proxy ceremony in, in, in uh, Japan. The DEA's legal attache, the legat, stood in for me. They had an actual ceremony, and they presented him with my medal that they shipped to me. And the funniest thing is that the certificate that went with the medal identified me as the administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration, the head honcho of DEA. And all I was was an INS special agent, an immigration special agent. 
And I was told that I could have asked them to reissue the certificate, but as my friends from DEA assigned to the U.S. Embassy in Tokyo told me, the Japanese government would lose face because it's a terrible thing to make that kind of a mistake. So I decided, what the hey, at least on this certificate, they've identified me as the head of the Drug Enforcement Administration. I could certainly have a worse calling, you know. But the point was, when I got the medal, the first thing that I had to do was to bring it to my bosses. The chief of investigations in New York was formerly the head of internal affairs, both for the NYPD, then he retired, became the head of the internal affairs unit for immigration in Washington. And he had to make a determination that the value of this um, police medal, the materials that it was made of, were not worth, and I think the number was $35. It's been so many years now. This is about 25, 30 years ago that this happened. But he had to make the determination that the materials that the metal was made out of weren't worth more than $35. If he felt that they were, then I could not have kept the metal. It would have gone to Washington. They would have framed it, and they would have hung it in a conspicuous place at immigration headquarters so that everybody would know that I got this award, but I couldn't keep it because we're not allowed to accept gifts of significance. Think about that. You have politicians taking money, hand over fist, campaign contributions, but of course it doesn't influence them. And then we come to these really disturbing allegations of Joe Biden's son who may have, may have engaged in influence peddling. My father is the vice president. You want a connection? You want a meeting? You want me to see what I can do to help you out? Here's the price of admission. Now, maybe the son did it. Maybe the father didn't know. But when you listen to what's been told now and the emails going back and forth, Joe Biden was allegedly called the big guy, getting a 10% cut. And during the debate, he lied through his teeth, if that is the case, and said, I never took a penny from anybody. But Joe Biden kept on lying throughout the debate. These weren't mistakes. I never said anything about fracking. I never said it was. He actually challenged President Trump. You think I said that? Put the video up on your website. Well, well, it's been all over Fox News today, and I've seen him say it. No more fracking, no more petroleum. As I said on a radio show earlier today, I'm on with Bobby Gunther Walsh over at WAEB in Pennsylvania. Um, I said, well, apparently Joe Biden is a fracking liar. The videos are out there. The Democrat Party has said no more coal, no more oil, no more fracking. This would mean the loss of God knows how many hundreds of thousands of jobs, but it would mean a lot more. Part of what makes America strong is the fact that we are now energy independent. Stop fracking. Stop oil production. We don't have anything to replace that, those energy sources with yet. I mean, I, I hope at some point we wind up figuring out how to do nuclear fusion. That would be phenomenal. Pollution-free nuclear power, you know, you wouldn't have to burn anything else. And I certainly want to see us stop burning stuff because we're polluting the environment. The pollution is killing people. It's killing animals. It's screwing up the environment. I get that. I don't agree with climate change as it's articulated, by the way. I think we have to ask questions. But certainly it's not doing us any good to, to pour pollutants into the environment in any event. But we're not there yet. You know, my mother used to say to me, you don't throw out the dirty water until you have clean water. The dirty water in this case, petroleum, fracking, coal, and so forth. 
we're nowhere near able to be uh, to be able to do what we need to do in terms of transportation and uh, and and so forth at the present time if we don't have petroleum if we don't have coal if we don't have the fracking process natural gas we need those sources of energy until we're able to hopefully develop alternatives but we're nowhere near there yet not even close I mean, you had Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I call her Alexandria the barmaid, saying that we've got to stop flying airplanes because they're polluting. Meanwhile, all, all the lunatics from the left coast are out there flying around the world in their jets, uh, spewing all kinds of pollutants into the atmosphere with their private jets, but that's okay. That's them, not us, because they don't have to operate by the same rules the average American has to operate by. That's elitism at its very worst. I remember one time when, when uh, Mike Bloomberg, the New York City mayor, was talking about how New Yorkers had to turn down their thermostats in the winter, wear a sweater, uh, go to bed in flannel pajamas, you know, do all kinds of stuff so we don't burn fuel and we're energy independent and air conditioning, we need to turn it up, forget about 70 degrees, make it 80 degrees in your house. And a reporter said to one of the staffers, because Bloomberg had places to go, probably at his private airliner, and they, so the staffer took over, and he said, well, you know that the mayor's carbon footprint is equal to, I believe the number was 19 average people? And without missing a beat, this obnoxious snot, the staffer for the mayor said, well, that's understandable. The mayor does important things. It's kind of like the Chicago mayor who, during the COVID epidemic, where everything was locked down, went for a haircut saying, well, I'm a public figure. I need to get my haircut. Really? So it applies to you, but it doesn't apply to me. This double standard permeates what we've been hearing. It's infuriating, and people like that need to be voted out of office. That's not the way it works. Uh, It's arguable that Gandhi was perhaps one of the best political leaders of, of the human species of all time. He lived the same way the people that he represented lived. He lived among them at their level. He didn't have some mansion somewhere and say, well, let them eat cake, right? Marie Antoinette, which led to to the guillotine for her and her husband and many others. Let them eat cake. No, it doesn't work that way. If you truly believe in the environment the way you're articulating it, then you should be living by the same standard and setting an example. These are the same people who are screaming, if Trump doesn't wear a mask, well, no wonder we have a problem if he won't wear a mask. But when they pollute the environment, that's okay, because they have important things to do. They've got places to go, people to see, and TV cameras to stick their ugly mugs in front of. So Joe Biden repeatedly in the past has said no more fracking, no more oil. I never said that. It's a lie. There's videotapes, as he's at Senate. I've talked about this before. You had the same thing with Cuomo. You had the same thing with Pelosi, the same thing with Schumer, the same thing with de Blasio. They're screaming that the president didn't do enough when the virus came to our shores. But the president found out about it, if I remember the date correctly. It was around January 27th, January 28th. He got the word, we've got a problem. January 31st, he stopped entry from China. Within a couple of days or weeks after that, when we realized that the virus had spread terribly to Italy because they have a huge number of alien workers working in the garment industry in Italy, Italy became a hot spot. We stopped people coming in from Italy and then from Europe. And where were these wonderful 
politicians at that point. <clears throat> well, as late as the first week in March, they were there in Chinatown telling people that if they didn't go to Chinatown, they were xenophobes. They said that Trump was a xenophobe and he was trying to instill panic by stopping travel from China. Think about that. And there's videotapes. There's newspaper interviews. It's out there. Trump failed to act. We would have acted differently. They did act differently. They accused him of xenophobia for stopping people from coming to the United States from China. If we were in charge, we would have stopped it sooner. Really? Why didn't they? Why did they wait until March? And up until then, they kept insulting the president and anybody who followed along with this idea that we need to stop people coming into the country with diseases. Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, enumerates the categories of aliens who to be kept out of the United States. And it begins with aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases, aliens who haven't been inoculated, aliens who have mental illness. It goes right down that list. But it starts out with public health concerns because Ellis Island was a quarantine station. So the president used his lawful authority under Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, small f. It says the president may block the entry of any alien or all aliens, either as individuals, as groups, as immigrants, as non-immigrants, is he makes the determination that their entry into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. It's a very low bar. If he believes it's detrimental, he could say no more. Stop. Turn it off. He did it. And he did it on January 31st, where China was concerned. Six weeks later, the Democrats on both coasts were screaming that this was xenophobia, this was hate-mongering, this is racism and bigotry, and now they want to rewrite history. No wonder the rioters want to get rid of the statues and history books because everyone will understand what really happened. So Trump took the prudent action. Now, of course, well, he told this reporter, Woodward, oh, I didn't want to panic the people. Well, that's right. If you're on an airplane and there's a mechanical issue that the captain and the, and the first officer are dealing with, you want the captain to come on the PA system and scream into the microphone, we're about to die. Is that what you expect of the captain on your airliner? Or do you expect them maybe to say, we're going to be diverting to another airport. We're dealing with a mechanical issue. Not a big deal. We expect to land safely. But we're going to be landing at an airport other than the one that we were destined to land in because of safety considerations. Isn't that what you expect of the people flying that airliner if you're on that plane? You don't expect them to be screaming, oh, my God, we're going to crash. We're about to die. You expect a cool head in the cockpit saying, yes, we have a mechanical problem. We know how to deal with it. But because of the problem, we're going to divert to a closer airport to put the airplane down on the ground. That's cool. That's what the president was doing. And I'm not the president's spokesman. I don't always agree with him. I think his use of language can sometimes leave a lot to be desired. But my goodness, I thought he did well with the debate. I would only give him maybe a 75, though, or an 80, which is still much better than most people, I think, expected, because it's not his style. Think of the accomplishments he should have discussed if he didn't waste all the time talking about the thousands and millions and fabulous and terrific and all those adjectives. Uh, I was going to teach debate on the college level. I've been debating since I was 14. I couldn't play sports. You put a gun to my head. When I was a kid, if they said, go out there and play basketball, I'd say, shoot me. I can't do it. I can't play football. I'm a klutz. I was a good handball player because in Brooklyn, handball isn't a sport. It's almost religion. 
But the other sports, not me. But debate, that was my thing. You know, you always play to your strength. And look at what the president accomplished. They were supposed to have a segment on national security. They kind of lost it because of all the time wasted in the back and forth on some of the issues that really weren't needed. Today, in fact, the Sudan is normalizing relations with Israel. Up until a year or two ago, the Sudan was on the list of countries that sponsored terrorism. Now, suddenly, an enemy of Israel, a former enemy, is looking to normalize relations. You have the deal with the United Arab Emirates, and there's other countries that are lining up to normalize relations, share or or, or exchange ambassadors and embassies. Could you imagine if, and we were told this would never happen, if because of the negotiating skills of this president and his administration, if we could wind up with real peace in the Middle East, think how that would change the dynamics around the world. It would be a great way to combat combat terrorism, a great way to combat Iran, Iran, by the way, which got all that money from the uh, Obama-Biden administration, those pallets of billions of dollars, an arms deal or a nuclear deal that would guarantee Iran gets a nuclear weapon. Think about it. President Trump put up the wall. Nobody wanted it. Why not? Well, I don't know if you know this, but this past week, the former head of the Mexican army was arrested in Los Angeles by DEA for narcotics trafficking. The best way to stop traffic across an international border, believe it or not, folks, is a wall. It really is. This idea about high-tech and drones and sensors, yes, you back up the wall, but you put the wall up first. And when you hear this nonsense, well, if they they build a 20-foot wall, they'll come with 25-foot ladders. Sure they will. But the trick to the wall isn't to stop all illegal crossings. That's not the goal. If you think it is, you're missing the point. The goal is to knock the numbers down to numbers that we can deal with. That's why security is always done in layers. That's why filters, air filters, generally have more than one element. You might have 20 elements. So as the air or the water passes through the filter, there are more and more elements that knock out more and more of the particulates that you're trying to get out of the air or get out of the water. That's why filters have layers. That's why security is done in layers. You don't put up a wall and say, well, job's done. No, the wall is part of a system, a security system, floodlights and sensors and all that. But without a wall, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work. So my question is, the politicians who voted against the wall, are they on the take? I don't know that they are, but someone ought to look at that. Someone needs to look at why anybody would be opposed to building a wall when we have a huge problem with illegal immigration and drugs pouring across the border. And when you look at all the hearings that have been held about how Iran is operating throughout Latin America, through its Quds forces, which are their their shock troops, and Hezbollah and Hamas, which are terrorist organizations, based out of Venezuela, based out of the tri-border region of Brazil, Latin America is a hotbed for terrorism, and their goal is to bring terrorist sleeper agents to the United States. So how dangerous is that border? It's super dangerous. It's super dangerous. But yet, even when both the Republicans controlled both houses, the House and the Senate, the president could not get legislation passed to get the funding to build a wall. I'd love to know what was behind those members of Congress who refused to vote for a wall. 
we've got a problem. When they did that app scam investigation, they had to turn off the investigation after a while because it was my understanding, according to some of my friends at the FBI who participated in the app scam case, that there was a real concern that they were going to lock up just about the whole Congress. Our government floats on money. This isn't a good situation. You know, it's funny when you stop to think about it. But I saw a poster, and it showed a bunch of people, and the poster said, come back when you have a lobbyist. Well, if those people represented the American citizens, what do you mean the American citizens need to have lobbyists in order to be represented? Why in the world is it called the House of Representatives? Who the hell are they representing? Understand what's happening here. You have Joe Biden, who I'm going to guess would stop fracking, wants to stop oil production, would make us dependent ultimately on other countries, or would crash our economy, which maybe is the whole point. I mean, that is what happened to Venezuela. Venezuela used to be the wealthiest country in all of Latin America. It's now the poorest country in Latin America. It's amazing what communism does. You know, on paper, communism is brilliant. To each according to his needs, from each according to his ability. My gosh, that's utopia. It's also BS. My dog, for Pete's sake, is a capitalist. If I want to teach her a new trick, I have to give her a, a reward. That's what capitalism is. You work harder, you make more money, you get a reward for making the effort. If you were told that if you work eight hours or you work two hours or you work 12 hours, how many hours are you going to work for the same paycheck? You're probably going to work two hours, aren't you? Why? Profit motive. And what is capitalism based on? The profit motive. It's human nature. It's not only human nature, it's animal nature. Reward me and then I'll do it. No reward, you know, money talks and BS walks. So we've got that going on. And then you've got Joe Biden, and I was so sorry that the president blew a golden opportunity because they actually dedicated the last segment of the debate to immigration. And by the way, I thought the moderator did a decent job. I, I, I thought I saw a slight tilt towards Biden, but it wasn't bad. It really wasn't. It was, I, I would say it was, it was a fairly fair debate, unlike what we had seen previously. And Joe Biden talked about how he was going to legalize 100 days after taking office. He was going to legalize 11 million illegal aliens. If you remember what I wrote about week, I talked about it, and I included the link if you go to the, the page for my radio show today. I wrote an article, Biden's Build Back Better is Bunk, and the subtitle, The Democrats' Plan to Import Tens of Millions of Immigrant Children Proven. Biden said 11 million. Now, the universities believe that the number of illegals in the country are more than double that, and I think that that is a low estimate. So we're up to maybe 25, 30 million. Now, what nobody ever talks about, this includes the Reagan amnesty, isn't just how many people get green cards based on the amnesty, but under our laws, when someone gets lawful status, they have an immediate, absolute, unarguable right to bring in each and every single one of their minor children and their spouses, unless they have criminal histories or they're otherwise inadmissible because they fall into a class of excludable aliens. Again, Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182 lists those classes. But for the most part, each and every child of each and every legalized alien could come to America immediately. 
the day after. What happens if we legalize 25 million illegal aliens? First of all, the national security nightmare that we are talking about is beyond anything you could comprehend. There will be no capacity to interview 25 million. Okay, We can't interview a million. There would be no way to conduct field investigations. So we don't know if these folks came here 11 days ago, 11 weeks ago, or 11 years ago. We have no idea when they came. We will have one hell of a time verifying their identities because illegal aliens typically use multiple false identities. So do terrorists. The 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, discovered that the 19 hijackers who did so much damage on September 11, 2001, those 19 hijackers in the aggregate used something in excess of 360 false names or variations of false names. So these folks, are gonna, if they're wanted or whatever, or they're terrorists, they're going to lie about their identities. There'll be no way to know who they are. And the, the government bureaucracy will have to go through those applications at warp speed to keep up with the onslaught. This would be Lucy at the Bonbon factory on steroids, if you remember that comedy routine with, with her friend Ethel Mertz. They were supposed to wrap the candies, and then the candies came at them at warp speed, and poor Lucy and Ethel were eating them and shoving them down their clothes, and they didn't know what to do with them. Well, where the applications are concerned, the only way you can get rid of them is either approve them or deny them, and approving them is the fastest way to dispose of them. It will be a national security catastrophe, a public safety catastrophe. And then there's the economics and the fact that they would be an environmental nightmare. If you bring in 100 million kids, which could easily be the number, let's say there's four children per illegal alien, the number might be much higher than that. But on average, let's just say four because it's a, number, a round number. You wind up with 100 million kids, 100 million. Let that number sink in roughly a third of what our population is now. They need food and water. They need electricity. They need sewerage. They need clothing and shelter and transportation. They will need health care. And they will immediately have to be enrolled in schools because they're children. What would that do to the educational system that's already imploding? What would it do to jobs when these kids grow up and become adults? And some of them might be in their late teens or mid-teens, so two, three, four years from now, they become adults. They're going to be in the labor pool. Then what happens? You know, all these promises of high-paying jobs that Biden keeps making. How are you going to do that if you have to deal with an onslaught of 100 million kids who quickly become part of the labor pool? I wish President Trump had challenged him. And what's remarkable, if you listen to the journalists, everyone's talking about why it was that they couldn't come up with comprehensive immigration reform, like this is a good thing. Why in the world are we so hell-bent on comprehensive immigration reform? I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times back in 2006, because I had testified at a couple of hearings about comprehensive reform, and I gave it a new name. Given my concerns about national security, I said that they ought to call it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. And again, if they had had that segment on national security, Biden's proposed immigration plan would irrevocably undermine national security. We never got there. But the public needs to hear this. The president needed to somehow shoehorn that in. He didn't. It was a, ma a massive opportunity on a massive issue. Unfortunately, never happened. 
the impact this could have on jobs and the environment. Never happens. Everyone just sort of accepts that number of 11 million, and that's just the way it is. Oh, 11 million, no big deal, nothing to see here. No, it could be 100 at 11 million. You see, we never heard about that. In fact, I wrote a recent article about comprehensive reform, and I said that in addition to calling this legislative disaster the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act, that perhaps we ought to give it another new name. So it has two names, the Overwhelm America Act. Trump didn't say much about it. Trump did pin Joe down, and Joe never answered. And this is a fight that I've had with people about those cages. Those cages weren't built by the Trump administration, but by the Obama administration. How many of my neighbors had up signs saying, we don't put kids in cages. How dare you, President Trump? Cages were built by the Obama administration. The Obama administration. In fact, I testified at a congressional hearing about detention facilities, and my um, suggestion to the Congress was that, look, when we have people applying for political asylum, we can't just turn them loose. We need to know who we're letting in, because we know the terrorists embed themselves within refugee flows. And uh, my first wife died of cancer many years ago. Her parents uh, actually lived in a resettlement camp in Italy before they were allowed to come to the United States. They were forced to stay there for a couple of years because until State Department was satisfied that they did not somehow pose a threat, they could not get a visa to come to the United States. I believe, in fact, that my brother-in-law was born in one of those camps in Italy. They were denied entry until the clearances were done and the government was satisfied that it was safe for them to come to America. Not safe for them, but safe for us, for them to come to America. There's nothing wrong with that. And then they went after Trump over the 500-odd kids who were never united with their families. And he started to answer it, but the answer could have been better. The administration tried to do DNA testing to make certain that these children were not being given to smugglers, but to their actual family members. You can do that through DNA testing. By the way, France did that also with their refugees because there was a lot of fraud, people claiming that they were part of the same family, and they weren't. They were not part of the same family. So that's an issue. So they tried to do DNA testing, and then the courts got involved and said, well, this is taking too long. You just have to release them. Release them to whom? Is a two-year-old in the position to say, that's not really my mother, that's not really my father? And we've known of cases. In fact, there was one particular onerous case that I recall where an illegal alien with a criminal history was arrested waiting across the Rio Grande with a six-month-old infant in his arms. And then he admitted that the child was not his child. He started out saying it was his child. And then when they sat him down, I guess they probably said, we're going to do DNA testing. And if you lie to us, that's a five-year felony. Uh, that's how I would have proceeded if I was working. So we're going to take a DNA test, and we'll know by tomorrow whether or not you're going to spend the next five years in jail. That's how I would have dealt with it. And I'm sure at that point the guy said, okay, you got me. Okay, you got me. I remember one time we were doing a, a, a series of drug arrests with the FBI, an undercover thing with the FBI and New York City Police Department, and they arrested this guy, and I asked him for his name, and he told me his name, and I looked at him, and I said, I think you're a liar. He was from Jamaica. He said, why would I lie to you? I said, maybe you're concealing your identity because you wanted for other crimes. And so we, we told him that we would, I said to him uh, very simply, 
You can lie all you want, and you will get away with it, but only if you were somehow able to change your fingerprints. And the guy looked at me. He looked at the two FBI agents I was working with. He looked at one of the cops who was there, and he put his head down. He said, okay, I'll tell you my real name. And it turned out the guy was wanted for, I can't even remember how many crimes the rap sheet stretched across the room. All because I said to him, you have nothing to worry about as long as you changed your fingerprints. I just remembered who I really am. You know, I've often, often jokingly said that you could tell the difference between a good guy and a bad guy. The good guy gets up in the morning, and he goes through his drawers to figure out what he wants to wear, and a bad guy goes through his stuff to figure out who he wants to be. Bad guys use multiple false identities. So if you're talking about legalizing 25 million people, and realize that 19 hijackers on 9-11 killed more people than we lost to the whole damn Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor. Understand the level of risk that this would create for America and Americans, something Trump should have hammered. He didn't, and I'm not sure if he really understands the issue, because I guess unless you've really dealt with immigration up close and in person, people really don't get it. You know, at the beginning of the program, I told you that I had the distinct privilege of addressing a room filled with Air Force brass, and afterwards, keeping a safe distance, of course, uh, a couple of the generals came up to me. And one guy was a fighter pilot, flies the F-22, used to fly the F-15 Eagle. I told him that I will be forever envious of him, and I thanked him for his amazing service. And we had a really pleasant conversation. But they all had the same thing to say. We never understood immigration the way you do. And now that we've heard what you have to say, we're never going to think about it the same way. I mean, that's really the point. And, and that's really the case with so many areas of expertise. What I take for granted, people don't know, not because I'm brilliant, I'm far from it, but because I paid attention and I spent 30 years as an inspector, adjudicator, as an agent. I rotated through all the squads. Um, and I saw every day at work as a day in school, a day in the lab seeing things, hearing things, witnessing things, interacting with people, interacting with other law enforcement agencies. It's putting together this huge mosaic. It's a jigsaw puzzle. And every day, someone handed me another piece to that big puzzle until I eventually was able to put the whole picture together. And when I explained immigration from the perspective of someone who did this job for 30 years, I'm telling you, these folks came up to me, and these are really bright people. Let me tell you, these Air Force generals talk about the right stuff. And they said, wow, we just never considered all these issues. And that's not their fault. And, uh, you know, and that's what real leaders do, by the way. They, they admit when they come up short about something. I was not allowed to be a BS artist. My parents would have taken me uh, to task for it. My mother used to say, you either know what you're talking about or you're a BS artist, and my son better not be a BS artist. And if I ran my head at my mouth at the dinner table, my dad would tilt his head in that, that fatherly way, looking over the top of his glasses, and he'd say to me in this very stern voice, Mike, empty barrels make a lot of noise. The point was, if you don't know, don't run your mouth. So being the leaders with integrity that these ladies and gentlemen were, there were a number of women there, men there, great bunch of Americans, one guy told me he was first-generation American or second-generation. I said, I'm first-generation American also. This isn't about being anti-immigrant. It's just about being protective of our country and our people. But they all said the same thing. We never thought of immigration the way you see it 
and we will never forget what you said. This will have a permanent impact on how we understand the issue. That's why I've been doing this program and why I've been out there doing everything that I can to educate as many of our fellow Americans as possible about the true significance of immigration. And I only wish that Donald Trump had hammered Biden on that proposal of his to legalize everybody within 100 days and stop enforcing immigration laws. They've also called, they meaning Biden and Harris, have called for the decriminalization of immigration law violations. Basically an open border. Trump sort of hit on it when he said, well, you want to give free health care to illegal aliens, they're going to come here from everywhere in the world. What Trump needed to then say is, so then what happens to health care for Americans? Imagine aliens from other countries with dangerous communicable diseases who aren't being treated. They either don't have the money or their countries lack the resources. We're talking now about the third world. In many cases, we're talking about dangerous communicable diseases. And you tell the world that we're not going to enforce our laws. Well, you're firing the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from all over the world. And for those folks, the finish line is the border of the country, our country. And you promise them free health care so people with dangerous diseases, tuberculosis and God knows what else, tropical fevers, Ebola, name it. Wow, if I could get to America, they'll treat me and I won't even have to pay for it. The earth would tilt as the humanity heads for the borders of the United States any which way they can in the hopes of being treated. And once here, imagine the epidemics this could create in the United States as people with dangerous diseases flood into America, stowing away on ships, landing at international airports, or running the Canadian or Mexican borders to get into the United States. That is exactly what Biden-Harris want. They've said it. Free health care for everyone, free college for everyone, no immigration enforcement, decriminalizing illegal entry into the United States. We're done. We're done. This isn't about xenophobia. I don't care who these people are. If you allow 100 million kids to come to America, I don't care if they're from Europe. I don't care if they're from Asia, Middle East. It doesn't matter. The numbers of people that we're talking about would capsize our lifeboat. You can only put so many people in a lifeboat. If you put too many people in the lifeboat, tilts over and everyone winds up going down. That is the image that the Biden Harris immigration plan conjures up, and it's not an unreasonable concern. I've spoken to other people, experts in the area. I sent them that article. I hope you will read it. I hope you will forward it to everybody, especially before Election Day, because people need to know what they're voting for. If you're okay with that, God bless you. You're an American. You're entitled to be in favor of anything you want. But forewarned, you know? Biden's Build Back Better is bunk. The Democrat plan to import tens of millions of immigrant children prove it. It was a golden opportunity. It was a golden opportunity for President Trump to say, you're talking a great game about free health care. But if you invite hundreds of millions of sick people to the United States seeking free health care because you don't want to have any kind of control over the border, how many days will Americans have to wait online before they could see a doctor in an emergency room. Make it personal, because you know what, folks? This could not possibly be more personal. The Congressional Budget Office estimates that it costs 20 to 40% more to educate children who can't speak, read, or write English. 
Imagine flooding America with 100 million foreign students, many of whom will not be able to read, write, or speak English. Where does the money come from for English as a second language, for the teachers to teach these kids, for the classrooms, for the food, for the facilities? Are we going to start building new schools? I mean, where are these kids going to learn? Are we going to put 80 kids in a classroom, 100 kids in a classroom? How will that affect the education for children? Now, the wealthy can go to private school, but kids who can't go to private school, imagine being in a classroom with 100 kids and half of them can't speak English because that would be one of the side effects of permitting 100 million school-aged children to come to the United States under the Biden plan. I wish that President Trump was aware of it and that hammered that issue. See, for me, this all by itself is a showstopper. We can disagree about all the other stuff. We can disagree about everything. But for me, the prospect of 100 million kids of school age coming to America, that's the showstopper. How can you argue against what I'm saying? That's the challenge for you. If you think I'm wrong... How do you argue against it? And it's remarkable because Joe Biden keeps saying the same thing. The president needs to follow the science. The president needs to follow the science, right? How many times have we heard that? So let me ask you folks a question because this is something that I, when I hear this, it blows my mind. I was originally a science major. I started teaching myself astronomy in the third grade. I think I've mentioned it on my program before. I've certainly mentioned it when I've done podcasts with Dennis Michael Lynch at Team DML, dmlnews.com. When Russia launched Sputnik, the first artificial satellite, President Eisenhower, it was a Friday night, I was nine years old, Eisenhower said, we're going to have to teach American kids math and science so we can continue to lead. I came to school on Monday, and I was pulled into a meeting with my teachers, and they said, you know, we have to teach science and math and you seem to know more about science than anybody. I was in the fifth grade at the time. So they actually had me set up a, a couple of orange crates. My dad helped me with this. He hammered them together, and then I painted them and hung a sign on it, Science Corner. And they had me spend an hour on Thursday morning talking about science. It might have been astronomy. It might have been how airplanes fly or how rockets work. But for an hour... I would stand in front of the room in my fifth grade class, and they brought some other kids in from the neighboring fifth grade class. And I was very proud. I was very proud of that. And believe it or not, kids being what they are, I got ridiculed. I was called an egghead. Today they use the term nerd. But I, I've always been into science, and I think it rubbed off on my kids. All four of my kids love astronomy. Two of my kids are mechanical engineers. So they, they caught the science bug from me. I guess it's a communicable uh, bug. So two articles just caught my eye, and this is really kind of fun. I don't know, and so we're going to digress a little bit, but we're going to talk a little bit about astronomy and two differing viewpoints. Because when I hear this business about you have to follow the science, and the doctors tell you this and the doctors tell you that. By the way, before we talk about astronomy, I want to ask you folks a question. I had cancer surgery 20 years ago. Thank God I'm okay, and it's a good thing because I haven't aggravated my quota yet. And, and my doctor was a world, is a world-class surgeon. He was one of the people who devised the PSA test. He was the head of, um, of um, trying to remember the, the discipline. Um, but he, he was the head of urology, forgive me, I'm having a Biden moment. He was the head of uh, urology at a major New York hospital. 
and he did my surgery, and the result is here I am. But before he said he would take care of me, and he told me he believed he could save my life. Thank God he was right. But he said, before you agree to have me do the surgery, I want you to do something for yourself, and it's for me also. I said, okay, what's that, Doc? He said, I want you to get a second and even a third opinion. I want you to be comfortable with whatever decision you make. Don't just take one doctor's word. Now, this guy was a professor of urology at Columbia School of Medicine. He was the head of urology at a major hospital. And he said, get another opinion. And I did. And I made an educated decision. I had him do the surgery, and I'm alive 20 years later, thank God. But we always are told, go for second opinions. And yet Biden and the the other side, oh, the president's not listening to the scientists. The the science doesn't always agree, which brings me to this astronomy article that I tripped over this morning. This is really funny. One article, these are both of the same magazine, Universe Today. It's a a well-respected magazine. And the other one was October 20th of this year. So they're a day apart. And what's so funny is that on October 19th, the title of the article, for those of you familiar with Beetlejuice, it's a big red giant star that everyone thinks it's about to go supernova and everyone's watching, waiting for it to blow up. It's located in the shoulder of the constellation Orion in the Northern Hemisphere, where where we are here above the Northern Hemisphere uh, in New York. Here's the headline. What's happening with with Beetlejuice Astronomers propose a specialized telescope to watch the star every night, and they go on and say how it is likely that the star will explode within our lifetime because it's that big and it's pulsing and it's doing all kinds of crazy things. It's about to blow. And this process usually takes place over millions of years. So how lucky we are that we will be alive to see it, that fortunately the star is so far away, they think over 600 light years away, that we won't have to worry about the radiation killing us because they believe, scientists believe, that some of the mass extinctions may have been caused by stars blowing up and bathing the earth with so much radiation that it kills animals, kills the ozone layer, has an environmental impact. So October 19th, there's an article about how astronomers are saying that we need to build a specific telescope just to study Betelgeuse so when that happens, we'll have it well documented. One day later, Here's the headline. Same magazine, different author. Uh, I believe it's a different author. Let me make sure. Yes. The first article was by Matt Williams. The second article is by even Evan Goh. And here is the article, and you're going to love it. Wow. Beetlejuice might be 25% closer than previously believed. And it begins by saying, in the last year, Beetlejuice has experienced two episodes of dimming. Normally, it's one of the ten brightest stars in the sky. And astrophysicists and astronomers got busy trying to understand what was happening with the red supergiant. Different research came up with some possible answers, enormous star spots, a buildup of dust, pre-supernova convulsions. And now a new study is introducing another wrinkle into our understanding of Betelgeuse. The authors say that Betelgeuse is both smaller and closer than previously thought. The new study is titled Standing on the Shoulders of Giants. New mass and distance estimates of Betelgeuse through combined evolutionary astro-seismic and hydrodynamic simulations with MESA. And the lead author is Dr. Meredith Joyce, a postdoctoral fellow in stellar physics. The bottom line, it's not going to blow up as soon as they thought it did because it's not as big as they thought it was, and it's not as far away as they thought it was. Wow. 
So who's right? Who's wrong? It's the same thing with climate change. These are all astrophysicists, all astronomers, looking through high-powered telescopes using Hubble, using all kinds of advanced instrumentation, and they're in complete disagreement. Is it over 600 light years away? Is it 500 light years away? Is it bigger? Is it smaller? Is it about to explode? Is it not about? Who knows? And these are all brilliant scientists who disagree. And this is one of many. There was just another article that doctors have just discovered a new salivary gland in humans. For as much as we know human anatomy, think about it. They just discovered a salivary gland that nobody knew existed in human beings. This just happened this past week. How much do we really know? But what we're hearing from the radical left lunatics, the people with the agenda, is you either agree with our scientists or there's something wrong with you and, and, and you're crazy and, and you're mentally you know, screwed up, whatever. And, and I may have mentioned this before, but it, it's worth talking about again. I always knew that Albert Einstein was forced out of Germany in pre-war Germany because of anti-Semitism. That's not a shock. We know what the Holocaust did. My mother's family was decimated. I was named for my mother's mother who was killed in Poland because of these anti-Semitic jackasses, these Nazi dirtbags. But it's worse because the Nazi regime got a hold of two of their scientists who got the Nobel Prize, and they organized huge demonstrations against Albert Einstein accusing him of practicing Jewish medicine. There was an article about this in Scientific American, which is a highly reputable magazine. Jewish science. And what did they attack Einstein for? His concept of space-time and his theories of relativity. Well, science has borne out all these theories. Gravitational waves are part of his understanding of space-time. Gravitational waves. They just developed an instrument within the last couple of years and were able to detect the gravitational waves have created when two um, uh, black holes collided billions of light years away, and the ripples, gravitational ripples, hit the Earth, and they were measurable. Einstein predicted it because of his study of space-time. But in, in pre-war Germany, they organized nearly violent demonstrations, thousands and thousands of people out there screaming and chanting and waving signs and vilifying Albert Einstein, saying that he was you know, a fool and a liar and that there's no such thing and his problem was for being a Jew and he was practicing Jewish science. The science Nazis were after him. So he came to the United States because he felt that his life was in imminent danger staying in Germany with those crazies. And it was a good move. They probably would have killed him because he was practicing Jewish science. So here we have a case I just discussed with you about how astrophysicists aren't sure what they're looking at when they look at the star Betelgeuse. We know that scientists just discovered a new salivary gland that no one knew existed in human beings before. These are discoveries being made right now. For as much as we think we know, we don't know. We don't know. Science has always been the quest for knowledge, the quest for knowledge. We don't have all the answers. Think about that. It's called the Big Bang Theory. That's a Big Bang fact. Why? Nobody was here. They're not sure. They think. They look at the data, and then they try to run the clock backwards to figure out how everything happened. Hubble figured out that the, Earth, that the, soul, that the uh, universe was expanding, and in fact, he devised the Hubble constant. And then the, the, the launching of the Hubble telescope, named for Edwin Hubble, 
opened up literally the heavens to our astronomers and astrophysicists in ways they didn't think imaginable. Because every day we learn something new. Fauci said, wear masks, don't wear masks. Wear masks, don't wear masks. There's scientists to this day that say do it. Oxychloroquine, use it, don't use it. There's so much disagreement within the scientific community. Remember this notion of a second opinion. But all that we're getting out of the mainstream media is attack after attack. They were willing to publish this Russia hoax about the president without any confirmation. But where Biden is concerned, now we're being told by some news outlets, well, right now they can't confirm it, so they won't publish it. The sitting president can be falsely accused that that will make headlines. The guy running to become the next president, whose ideology they like, well, we haven't gotten confirmation, so it would be reckless to run the story. Why wasn't it reckless to run the Russian collusion hoax? And now you look at what's going on with China. And by the way, uh, Bill Tucker had a, did a piece about how Chinese workers in the United States on H-1B visas were working at Facebook to help censor Facebook. So you have foreign nationals controlling what access Americans have to the Internet and, and to um, social media. This is nuts, folks. We have to pay attention. Please share your ideas and your thoughts and your concerns with your neighbors. Have peaceful, calm conversations. I suggest you forward my latest article to Front Page Magazine. Consider signing up with Team DML at dmlnews.com so you can watch my my weekly podcasts. But um, have a wonderful, safe weekend. I uh, want you to remember, as always, that democracy is not a spectator sport. We'll see you next week. So long for now.